This podcast is brought to you in part by Bangor Savings Bank. Bangor Savings Bank celebrates local every day. It's where we live, work, and play. Bangor Savings knows local is a little bit different for everyone. It's the region, the people, the businesses, and the sense of community that makes your local so unique. And Bangor Savings Bank supports your local by partnering with people and communities in support of that wonderfully local way of life. It's what Bangor Savings Bank has been doing since 1852, investing in you, your business, and your community to help New England thrive. Bangor Savings Bank, where you and your local matter more. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Passamaquoddy Reservation at Pleasant Point is on the very edge of Maine, as far east as you can go. There are some beautiful big trees here. Not sure what kind those are. It's surrounded on three sides by water, and at low tide, the mudflats stretch out all the way to the horizon. But a lot of eagles, see right there? And they hang out in these trees because when the elwives... Chief Maggie Dana is showing me around. It's cold and really windy. Yeah, there's an eagle, like, just circling overhead, it looks like. Beautiful. Chief Dana brought me out here to see the reservoir that supplies the tribe's tap water, which, she warned me, do not drink. So the water situation is not good. We've all known this growing up to not drink the tap water. Several times of the year, it becomes brown. It has an odor. The reservoir looks dirty. Chief Dana says the problem is that it's shallow, and when it rains, sediment gets dredged up from the bottom. Sometimes the tribe gets letters from the state warning them that the water isn't safe to drink. But even when it runs clear, it's heavily treated with chemicals. Chief Dana takes me back to the tribal office so I can see for myself. So we're filling up the sink in the bathroom here. It doesn't look brown, but I think if you smell it, you could smell the chlorine. Yeah, let me, um, I'm gonna turn this off. And just get in here. Yeah, it almost smells like, it almost smells to me like toilet water, like clean toilet water, but toilet water. For years, the Passamaquoddy have been trying to fix this water problem. They even dug wells on land they own outside of the reservation, in the neighboring town of Perry. And it was looking promising. There's a good water source there. It was clean. It was, um, you know, it's a potential solution to our, you know, bad drinking water. Usually in the United States, when a tribe purchases land, they can apply to the federal government to add it to their reservation. Then they can pretty much do what they want with it, because most tribes in the U.S. are treated like their own nations. But Maine is different. If tribes in Maine purchase land, they need the permission of the state, and sometimes even the permission of a city council, to do what they want. So that land that the Passamaquoddy owned in Perry was subject to Perry's laws. And after a few residents noticed issues with their own wells, 
the town voted to place a moratorium on large-scale water extraction. So the Passamaquoddy weren't able to use the wells that they had dug. And now there's a moratorium from the town of Perry to not even... Solve the problem you're trying to solve. exactly. We just want the same rights, privileges, immunities of any other federally recognized tribe. From the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies, this is Sovereign, a podcast about the fight for tribal autonomy in Maine. I'm Sarah Esikoff. For around 150 years in this country, Native tribes have been legally considered nations within a nation. But in Maine, the situation is way more complicated. Maine has restricted the rights of the tribes within its borders more than any other state. And the amazing thing is, the tribes in Maine agreed to this. Forty years ago, they signed a deal and surrendered a huge amount of power in exchange for money and land. People began to think, oh, we're going to have lots of money. Everything's going to be great. They convinced the tribe, either you do this or you get nothing. When it comes to indigenous peoples, Maine is at the back of the line. Right now, the tribes in Maine are fighting for new laws that would restore their powers of sovereignty. And Maine state politicians and town officials are trying to stop them. What we're creating here, the potential to create here, uh, is a nation within a town. It's just very unfair to us. Ever since European settlers arrived on this continent, they've been taking land from indigenous people. But this fight didn't end centuries or even decades ago. It's happening right now. The story of the tribes in Maine is the story of who has the land and who has the power. It's the story of who gets to be called sovereign. Now a message from our sponsor, Bangor Savings Bank. Bangor Savings Bank celebrates New England's local way of life every day. It's where we live, work, and play. With the personal service and heart of a local bank and the resources and technology of a much larger bank, Bangor Savings Bank works hard to fill the needs of your local community. Bangor Savings Bank, where you and your local matter more. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now back to the show. Okay, so first of all, a few definitions. Sovereignty is the right of a people to govern themselves and make their own decisions. The tribes in Maine have always said that they are inherently sovereign. But the powers of sovereignty, like the ability to make and enforce laws, can be taken away. The tribes in Maine have way fewer powers of sovereignty than an average tribal nation in the U.S. Over the next four episodes, we'll visit those tribes and hear their stories. The Passamaquoddy, the Penobscot the Holton Band of Maliseets, and the Aroostook Band of Micmacs. But today, we're focusing on the Passamaquoddy, and specifically the Passamaquoddy Reservation at Pleasant Point, known in the Passamaquoddy language as Zibayag. I spent a few days up at Pleasant Point, and the first thing I noticed was that it's really small. You can drive through the whole thing in like three minutes. And because it's so small, everyone there knows each other. And everyone's really friendly, kind of shockingly so, actually. One guy I talked to, Duane, offered to take me up a mountain in his ATV. He also offered to introduce the podcast in the Passamaquoddy language. 
Quay. Will they win? Al Yipsi they went Yud Bejiad. Kumaj. Nolida has. Al Yipsi they went Yud Bejiad. Hello. Welcome. I'm glad that you all have come. Before I left, Dwayne handed me a jar of strawberry jam through the car window. That was the vibe. Anyway, I told Dwayne, I don't have time for an ATV joyride, Dwayne, because, and I know this will sound depressing, but I have lawyers to talk to. I just don't want any of our lawyers to get crap to, like, ruin a shot or whatever. Oh, it's just uh, audio. Oh, good. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> oh, that makes you feel so much better. Michael Corey Francis Hinton is a lawyer for the Passamaquoddy. He's also a member of the tribe. And he says a lot of the problems on the reservation, including the water problem, stem from something called the Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act, which was signed into law in 1980, before he was born. So when did you first become aware of the settlement? Do you remember, like, your parents talking about it or anything like that? I don't know when, but at one point, my dad told me about the Settlement Act. And he talked to me about what it was like knowing that this was happening, like as a tribal member, being aware of it. And then he talked more about what happened afterwards and about how bad it immediately was for us. And he told me that we got a bad deal and that no one knew at the time, but that the tribe had a lawyer and that the lawyer sold the deal to the tribe. We'll get into all of that in the next episode. But here's the short version. The Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act was a land claims settlement, meaning that the tribes received damages, in this case money and the ability to purchase certain land, to kind of make up for the land that had been taken from them. But Maine would only agree to give them that money and land on the condition that the state maintained jurisdiction over the tribes. So, by and large, the tribes would have to abide by state law. This is definitely on the stricter side as far as tribal settlements go, but Maine took it even further. What's unique about the Maine Indian Claim Settlement Act is that it went the additional step of making sure that the Maine tribes would not benefit from federal laws passed by Congress for the benefit of tribes. It's true. The settlement had a clause that excluded the tribes in Maine from federal laws related to tribal nations. And it's been a huge problem for the tribes in Maine. Since 1980, about 150 of these federal laws have been passed that the tribes in Maine couldn't benefit from. The laws have impacted everything from education to health care to emergency relief to criminal justice to the right to operate casinos. And this is the thing that makes the Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act so much more restrictive than settlement acts in other states. Spending time on the reservation, I spoke with people whose lives have been impacted by the settlement in all kinds of ways. But many of them said it's not just that. It's not just the stuff we can't do or the hoops we have to jump through. The settlement has changed Passamaquoddy culture. I talked to a lot of fishermen because some of the legal battles between the tribes and the state had to do with fishing rights. And one of the fishermen said, you have to talk to Miku. We got 70 acres here. Miku Mendoza is a member of the Passamaquoddy tribe. He lives in a beautiful house facing the water about 20 minutes outside the reservation. The day I visit, his porch is littered with bicycles in all different sizes. Miku has six children. We're trying to slowly 
make it into a farm, but we're taking a good old time. <laughs> Miku does fish, and he did have complaints about the fishing quotas. But he said the settlement also just had a flawed premise. What the tribes had lost was their ancestral homeland. And what they got was money. Miku said that according to Passamaquoddy tradition, having a lot of money is a bad thing. He told me about something called a giveaway ceremony. Our chief would give away everything he owned to everyone. And he wasn't concerned about him having nothing because he knows some of that would come back to him. And that tradition was passed on. And this giving away would equalize, you know, what everyone had. And is that a tradition that still happens? In small scale, yeah. But it, it's, it's not. I, I would say it's almost dead. And it kind of has to be. Because the system we're under now, you need money to do anything. I mean, you could try to go out and hunt and, and live off the land, but we're only on 100 acres. The Passamaquoddy do own other pockets of land spread out all over the state, but they can't expand the reservation where they actually live. So no amount of money could give them back what they lost. And Miku felt the money itself eroded the tribe's values. That's why he says the settlement was a bad deal. You're not going to live as a Passamaquoddy person. You're going to live like Americans, so they're taking away who we are, our identity away. True sovereignty can't be won in a courtroom. But Chief Dana told me the states where tribal nations have more powers of sovereignty do feel different. You look at Arizona and New Mexico, you fly in there and you're just like... You feel the nativeness and the support, and, and it's not perfect, but they have some type of work and relationship. They support them. They support their federal recognition, their sovereignty. They work as sovereign governments, nation to nation. And what does it feel like to be there for you? It feels like I'm envious because in the state of Maine, everything's restrictive. You don't feel like it's nation to nation. You feel like you're... They make us feel like we're under the state. Next time on Sovereign, we track down the people who negotiated the 1980 settlement, the people who were there. And we have one big question. If it was really so bad, why did the tribe sign it? The answer involves a promise from George Washington, a treaty discovered in an old trunk, and a governor who says there will never be a sovereign tribal nation within his state. But before we go, here's Dwayne again, who welcomed us to the show. Dwayne is the youngest fluent speaker of the Passamaquoddy language, and he's 56. I asked him how to say goodbye. There is no such thing as goodbye in our language because it's been handed down from one generation to the other that upjij means I'll see you again whether it's here or in another life, once we've left this earth. So uh, there is no such thing as a goodbye. Upjudge means I'll see you again. Upjudge, we'll see you again in the next episode. And by the way, Dwayne did end up convincing me to take that ATV ride. Have you ever driven a four-wheeler? Because I, I, I have this place right over here. It's only like 10 minutes away. The view is spectacular. You can see for 40 miles. 
All right. Oh, he's running. <laughs> okay, good. Jump right on the back. Okay. All right. I want to. I want your trip to be more exciting, not just work, work, work. Okay. Sovereign is a production of the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies at the Maine College of Art. This episode was produced and written by me, Sarah Esikoff. Our other producers are Sanam Skelly, Matthew Brown, and Serena Snyder. Our editor is Robert Smith. Molly and Dana consulted on this project. This episode was mixed by Merritt Jacob. Our show art is by Haley Emmons. Isaac Kestenbaum is the director of Salt. Thank you to everyone who spoke to me for this episode and to everyone who showed me around Zubayeg and introduced me to their friends and family. I'm so grateful. Hey, Isaac Kestenbaum here. I'm the director of SALT. And I just wanted to say that if you liked what you heard today and you want to make a podcast yourself, well, check out SALT. We offer graduate level certificates in audio and podcasting, as well as short film, through a 15-week immersive semester up here in Maine. We also have a lot of online workshops that we offer year-round. So to learn more about any of this, just check out mecca.edu slash SALT. That's M-E-C-A dot E-D-U slash SALT. Also, I just want to say a very special thanks to Carly Peruccio for all the work that she did to help put this episode together. And another very special thanks to Merritt Jacob, because in addition to mixing this episode, he also did all the music that you heard. This podcast was brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. Bangor Savings Bank celebrates New England and its many locales. It's where we live, love, grow, and build. With the personal service and the heart of a local bank, but the resources and technology of a larger bank— Bangor Savings Bank fits the needs of your local community. Bangor Savings Bank. Local matters. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender.